it was a reset in a lot of ways. And, and I saw that with a lot of families. They were at home more. They were looking at their backyard and go, why don't we build a deck? And why don't we finally get that neighbor's table? My name is Linda Laurel, and I'm asking you to have the courage to listen with an open mind to all of our voices, because our voices matter. This episode is brought to you by BMW of West Houston. Hi, this is Robert Ory, the seven-time NBA champ, also known as Big Shot Bob. BMW of West Houston has provided me and my family with the best service and the best experience for years. BMW has been there for me and my family for years, so much so that it has convinced my wife to switch over from a former brand to BMW, and she loves it. BMW has been the car to drive. It is the ultimate driving experience. Hey, everybody, it's Linda Laurel, and this is Our Voices Matter podcast. I was on vacation recently with a group of friends, and I have to say without a doubt that the very best memories were created when we gathered around the table. We talked and we ate, and then we talked and we ate, and then we talked some more and we ate some more, and well, you get the picture, right? And then when we looked up, it was literally six hours later. There is definitely something magical about sharing food and conversation around a table. And nobody understands that better than this week's guest, the founder of Neighbors Table. I first met and interviewed Sarah Harmeyer in the fall of 2019 after seeing her on the Today Show. She was so gracious when I reached out. And before I knew it, she and I were sitting around a table in Richardson, Texas, just outside of Dallas. And we were talking about her life's mission as a people gatherer. So now back to my vacation. As my friends and I talked and I shared Sarah's story with them, I started thinking to myself, hmm, I wonder what the latest is with Sarah and her love mission. So I reached out again and here we are, ready to share an update brimming with love and hope. So join us. We saved a seat for you. Sarah, it is so great to see you again. I cannot believe that it's been three years since we first met and, and did our interview. How are you? I'm doing well. And what a three years we have survived, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, where where do you begin? This, these years, yes, with COVID and all the things. All the things. Yeah, because when when we got together, we were literally together. We were sitting um, at a table that your dad had built for one of your clients in Richardson, Texas, just outside Dallas. And we were literally sitting next to each other at this beautiful, beautiful table almost exactly three years ago. It was October of yeah. 2019. Yes. And Ignorance we could never is bliss. We had no clue. A few months later, COVID would show up at our doorsteps, right? I know. I know. Yeah. So let's, for those people who are maybe not had not watched the very first episode, just give us a little snapshot of what Neighbors Table is, and then I've got to ask you about all the updates between then and now. Yes. So Neighbors Table is a small business that I founded and am currently running, and um, we build handcrafted tables and cheer people on to love their neighbors, the people closest to them. So I have a very inefficient way of doing business, Linda, and then I deliver all of these tables myself across the country. And it started with a table my dad built me 
from my own backyard here in Dallas, Texas. And this was 2012, so 10 years ago. And I set a goal to serve 500 people in my backyard that year, just a, a stretch goal, a number I wanted to reach. And um, over time and dinner party after dinner party, that 500th guest walked on my driveway on Thanksgiving Day in 2012. And I still remember the single mom who had her aunt squash casserole with the three kids running around. And I had a stash and a crown that said 500. And that's really where my passion started for seeing people connect at the table. And it started out as just kind of a personal mission, living into the way that I'm made as a people gatherer. That's what I like to say I am. And from there, we started building tables for other people because I realized there's other people gatherers in the world. And what if they needed a home base like I did, a significant, beautiful table and they too could put it in their backyard or in their home and that be their space that they gathered their people around. So um, about a year and a half in after dad built me that table, we started building tables for others. And I would not be able to tell you 10 years ago that I would be in the table business, but here I am. <laughs> I've never actually screwed in a screw myself. I've had others build them for me, but um, dad likes to call me the closer. When I show up to uh, deliver the tables, I do the final assembly and he calls me the closer. So I am, uh, I'm into something I love and it's just been a joy. So I've met the very best people in the country uh, doing neighbor's tables. So well, you know, you say you're, you're not, you're, you never thought you'd be in the table business. I would argue that you're really in the people business. You're right. That, you know, right. The people, the people gathering. And, and at the, at the time that you started this in 2012, it was a very different time in our country in terms of our political divides and our ability or, or inability to relate to each other uh, on a more human level. And we're, you know, in a very, very different place now, even than we were three years ago when you and I first met. Um, what do you think is the, the power of a neighbor's table at this moment in our nation's history? What are, what are you seeing as you are traveling around the country and talking to people and helping them understand the magic that can happen when people sit around a table and share a meal and conversation. Yeah. Linda, I've seen over the years that a table is a great equalizer for people. I've seen people from every corner of our community come together at a table at the same time, not even like the same people from the same neighborhood getting around the table at, the, at one time, but actually people from different neighborhoods coming together or different life experiences or having different worldviews or or whatever these differences are that separate us. But there's something that happens, and I'll use your word, the magic that happens around the table is when we actually pause and we're sitting elbow to elbow and we're sharing a meal, something we do all the time, but there's something significant in the way that we do a neighbor's table in that we create... Um, a place where people are respected. We create a space where they're celebrated. Um, I want people to feel like they're in this world together. 
and we're actually got to create something better for ourselves uh, in this moment of our history in our country because we can and we can choose to do that. So mm-hmm. a lot of times people will really enjoy their experience at the table. And I know it's because they've actually listened. They've actually slowed down a little. Um, they've actually had a real dialogue instead of behind a screen. It's all these things that aren't new. They actually kind of feel old fashioned, but we're, we're kind of taking a step back and going back to the things that our grandmothers and our grandfathers used to do around their tables. Maybe some of us, our parents did that. We're, we've lost ourselves a little in the busy. And um, I've been inspired by people that have our tables across the country and how they're doing that. And everyone does it different in their own personalities and in their own communities. And it's so cool. And one of the things that you do so beautifully on your website is that you share some of the stories um, of, of people who have the tables and then how they are inviting people, oftentimes total strangers to come and enjoy a meal together. Is there a particular story over the last three years or so since we last spoke that stands out in your mind as a, as a, I guess, as a shining example of the power of neighbor's table and, and what can happen when you bring people together who might not be of the same faith and might not be of the same race and might not have the same political points of view. Mm-hmm. And yet yeah, they find common ground. I've been inspired by so many people and, and COVID sort of put a dampening spirit to our gathering. It, it obviously wasn't our season for a lot of gathering, but I just got back from Michigan, a little town north of Detroit, Clarkston, Michigan. And there's a family up there that has eight neighbor's tables, Linda. I mean, it's hilarious what? how many tables they have. They started with two tables in their home. They sold that house with the table in the contract um, this, this girl, Sarah is just, she's a people gather extraordinaire. Like she literally turned a bank in their little town into a restaurant. And I, t- I joke with her all the time. I was like, you have so much hospitality. You couldn't even keep it at home. Like you had to extend <laughs> it even further into your community. But she has turned this old bank into a restaurant. They call it the Fed. Isn't that a cute name off of like yeah. the bank oh, and like feeding people? And uh, she got four neighbors tables for their downstairs basement bar area. And it's like their community spot. So you can come and celebrate with your teacher friends or come celebrate an anniversary or something like that. Uh, she bought a new home and got two more tables there. So that's where we're at number eight now. But she had a event for her community just a few weeks ago uh, at the restaurant. And she sold tickets and it was a women's event and they, and they called it Unite and Spark. And Sarah and a few of her friends had gotten around and decided we want to reach out to our community, open it up to any woman that can come. And we want to be together. We want to share a meal. We want to break bread together as a community. Linda, it was the most fun thing I have been to in such a long time. At one point, they had three violinists that were like playing like classical violin to like club music. The, the vibe was so crazy. 
And at one point I saw like one table, all these women sitting around a neighbor's table, they were holding hands, singing, we are family. And I'm like, where am I? Like, this is so beautiful. But it's like, when someone steps in and says, I want to lead and I want to love my community, the people just to the right and left of me, and let's come together. That's exactly what I experienced just a few weeks ago in Sarah's restaurant. And it was a riot. They they were from all walks of life. It was beautiful to see them together. Each of the girls that um, organized the event got up and shared a little bit of their own story. And um, it was like the fastest connection I've seen in a group of 100 people that I know if 100 people can connect that quickly, we can do that around a table of 10 as well. You know, and it, it just... I have seen that over and over. That's a big example of, of what I experienced. But it was so meaningful to me to see someone that said yes to gathering, you know, at their home six, seven years ago, whenever she got those first tables, and then to have an extension of that in her own community and to do that. I just, I applauded her and her friends. It was, it was beautiful. But I've that seen people be, like... I was just going to say that must make you feel so good when you think about what your original mission was and to see how, you know, it's that pebble in the pond that, yeah. you know, just takes that one person and then all of a sudden it just blossoms. Yep. Yeah. I'm thinking of this other family in Wisconsin. Um, they had, have you seen those uh, like little book libraries in neighborhoods where you can borrow a book and, and take one and put one back or whatever. They oh, had yeah. something similar to this in their side yard, but it was a food pantry and their neighbors would supply food and it was off of a busy street. So it was real easy to pull up and grab something. And I watched this family um, first reach out to their community that was in need just through this little food pantry and then they got this neighbor's table and they had a place for 20 people to sit. And a lot of times I'll share that first meal with people when we deliver the table. And I looked around and I could not believe the faces that are, were around this table. It was people in need. It was people with much. It was um, different walks of life. It was the painter that this guy worked with or it was like the most beautiful mix of people. And I don't know if we're doing that in a lot of spaces right now. And um, it's really beautiful to see how simple just getting around a table is. And I keep learning that from people that I deliver these tables to. So it's extraordinary. Wow. And it's also ordinary at the same time, you know, same time, you know, it's so simple in its, in its beauty and, and, in it's, it's power. Um, so you've mentioned that your father's the one who, who builds the tables for you. How, how many do you, I'm sure you keep count. How many tables, how many states? I think the last time we talked, it was maybe 30 states across the country. So how has it expanded? What, what are your numbers? <laughs> what are, yeah. what are your latest stats? <laughs> And I don't always keep up, but I knew you were going to ask me, Linda. So, uh, we are in, we're in 37 states right now. Um, wow. It seems to be like the word just keeps spreading within the same states. You know, it's like, uh -huh. who actually lives in North and South Dakota? Like, where are you? I know you have neighbors, but maybe they're a little further away. Um, we've probably built 
between 180 to 200 tables since I last visited with you uh, three years ago. So uh, we've almost doubled in size. It's funny, you would think with COVID, things would have slowed down with gathering, but we have only continued to grow as far as the number of tables we've been building each year. And even this year is our best year yet. So I feel real grateful that people still see um, the mission behind Neighbors Table and a lot of people that buy our tables buy into the story behind it. And I know they can get a table, you know, at Restoration Hardware or Pottery Barn, but there's something about a Neighbors Table and that there's people all over the country with the exact same table living on mission, you know, to, to love the people it's around mission. them. It's the, it's the love mission and it's yeah. the, it's the innate, um, need that we have as humans to connect with each other. And, you know, I'm really not surprised actually that you have, have continued to grow and expand even during the pandemic because we all were, you know, it slapped us in the face how much we missed each other. Just yeah. being able to, you know, have just the basic kind of human connection that we were, that was, we were robbed of for such a long period of time. Yes. So, I mean, I, I think that gives me hope to, to think that people recognize that and said, you know, we need to still figure out how we can gather in ways yeah. that are meaningful. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in, in the last three years, our U.S. Surgeon General, Dr. Vivek Murthy, came out with a book called Together. And he interviewed me for the book. He He's really focused on... Um, just this mental health place that Americans are fighting and the loneliness epidemic. And I kept thinking about COVID and how siloed we all were at our home, especially at the beginning when we didn't know if we yeah. could go out or be together or get together with our family for holidays and that sort of thing. But it, it really shed some light on how lonely we can all be. And we can even feel lonely in the mix of feeling like we've got hundreds of friends on social media to connect with. But if we're not together and sitting elbow to elbow with people, there's nothing like reconnecting in person with people. And um, I think we realize that. I think we realized as families how to slow down. And, you know, when all those kids' activities were canceled and we weren't going to concerts or shows or anything. We were just left with each other, you know, and I think that uh, reinvigorated some people. Um, <clears throat> it also kind of created a little bit of a, a craziness, too, and that all we did was look at news as it kept, kept, you know, bombarding us and and that sort of thing. So uh, for those of us that paid attention and maybe we all need a reminder of what that was like again, um, it's, it was a reset in a lot of ways. And, and I saw that with a lot of families, they were at home more, they were looking at their backyard and go, why don't we build a deck? And why don't we finally get that neighbor's table? And, you know, they were wanting to create a space in their homes since they mm -hmm. were spending more time there. And those, those relationships are, are so critical, um, 
to our, as you were saying, our, our mental health. I had, I certainly had heard of Dr. Murthy's uh, book, but I had not had a chance to read it. And uh, it's so wonderful to hear that he reached out and interviewed you for that. And so yeah. now I'm definitely going to get it and read it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. What a great guy. He, he's fantastic yeah. and so kind. So, and so smart. Oh. Yeah. I'm so happy to hear that because he certainly appears that way. Um, so before we began recording today, you shared with me that your dad um, is no longer building the tables. So let's talk a little bit about that and how he's doing and why and then how you're yeah. moving forward with with the, the construction of the tables now that he's not able to do that. Yeah, it's it's good to share with friends, um, you know, that care about my dad and, and that sort of thing. We let dad finally hang up his hammer um, back in fall, probably right after you and I sat down for the podcast interview in, in 2019. I think November, um, he had been diagnosed with Alzheimer's a couple years prior. So he's going on his fifth year of his diagnosis with Alzheimer's. And he got to a place where it was just a lot harder for him to remember how to build a table, even though it's very similar every time. And so uh, we let him hang up his apron and um, I hired a guy, Steve, who was actually a guest at my table. Uh, Steve waited tables for 20 years, almost 20 years in the restaurant business. And he has a family of five and wanted to do woodworking full time. And I saw him step away from the restaurant he was working at a few months prior to me needing him. I saw him build a cornhole board here and there, or a cutting board. And I did not think very long about it. When I needed someone, I needed someone now. And I called Steve and I was like, Steve, would you be up for building tables for neighbor's table? I have no plans. They're in my dad's head, sort of. But I've got a table. Could you come look at it and take measurements, pictures, and that sort of thing? And Steve has built the most gorgeous tables for us since then. And it gives me so much joy to give a family work, Linda. You know, it was just me and Dad. It was like he didn't need the work. He was doing it because he loved me. And acts of service is his way that he's always loved my sister and I. But um, up until a little while ago, dad would always ask, and how's the guy doing that's building the table? Because he knew how much work it was and um, oh, wow. I'd update him and, and that sort of thing. So sometimes dad remembers that I've got a business and when I'm bugging him too much, he goes, now, when are you going to get a job? I've got a job, dad. <laughs> yeah. So I am my dad's caregiver right now and uh, we are living together and, you know, it's another reminder, Linda, of just, we've got to seize the day. We've got to make these memories. And my sister and I have planned a little trip over Thanksgiving and we have family dinner night and we're, we're making the most of these moments uh, in between him remembering who I am and who I'm not and playing along when he doesn't know who I am and making the best of it. So it's really my joy and I think about my dad's 73 years of life and he grew up in Chicago like you. And I think about all those people in his childhood and then moving to Houston and being in the oil business and all those people that worked for my dad. And I think of this continuum of time of like how many people were in my dad's life. And right now it's just my sister and I, 
Like we're getting to walk my dad home after the privilege of all these people knowing and investing in my dad's life and knowing this is it. Like we get to make the best of it. We get to respect him and love him and in a new way that we're learning every day how to do. It's not easy. And if any of your listeners does have someone with dementia or Alzheimer's in their life, they know it is no joke <clears throat> caring for someone and, and learning how to do that. So, um, well, you, my you love know. mission starts at home, you know, and yeah, yeah. so thanks for asking well, about him. He's, he's dearly loved by the people that he's built tables for and they ask about him often as well. So, you know, I, I've not had the privilege of meeting him, but I feel like I know him through you. Hmm. Because obviously his his spirit, his aura, his you know who he is, is living in you. And I've not met your sister, but I'm sure it's in her as well. And you know your love for your fellow human is is just a thing of beauty. It's it gives me chills right now just to even think about it, because you are one of those people who has such an important gift that, that we all need right now. Um, I'm, you know, I, I, I applaud the way that, that you are handling this season of his life and yours as the daughter of a mother who is also living with Alzheimer's. I know the walk that you're walking and it's not an easy one. Um, and your dad is very, very fortunate to have uh, you and your sister there for him um, at, at this time. So I will continue to keep him in my prayers and you and your sister as well. And, and just, you know, I, I know that this, this mission that, that what you have created with him is, is really uh, going to be a, a, a big part of his legacy and yours, no doubt. Um, where, where do you see neighbor's table going at this point? What, what's the next step? Yeah, yes. I do hope there's legacy there. And, and I do feel like, um, you know, we would call my dad the chairman of the boards. That was his his title. And we got so tickled over that. Um, I, I do think um, a good part of his legacy could be this. But, you know, when I think about legacy, I, I think about the deposits we make in each other's lives. Um, that's the kind of legacy that I want to make. Maybe I have a successful company, but what am I doing in my own backyard around my own table too? You know, um, there's a way that we can live bigger than life in some ways and on some platforms, but I also just want to be faithful for what's right in front of me. And, and I think the pace of growth for Neighbors Table, Linda, um, has always been perfect. You know, I, I'm kind of slow growing, I think, if, if I were to compare myself to others, um, hustling out there and that sort of thing. But I started all of this because I wanted to live into the way that I was made as a people gather. And I wanted to work and serve and love from that place. And if anything gets reversed and I'm not doing it from that same place of rest and like who I am, um, things can get jumbled a little. So 
I hope when I'm 80, I'm still gathering people. Lord knows if I'm still jumping in a box truck and I'm delivering tables. Surely not. Surely I'm outsourced by then. But um, the joy, the joy is there with people, you know. So um, I've always said it'd be a blast to have tables in all 50 states. That's super organic. I'm not picking up the phone and calling people in Maine until I, I get that table sold. It's Mm-hmm. It's like uh, on whatever pace that happens, but mm-hmm. I'm always going to do my best work. We're going to build a, a table that's worth celebrating around and um, try to be as people centric as we can in the meantime. So uh, there might be creative opportunities ahead that um, can help tell our story. I mean, just getting to sit down with you and your listeners is just a joy to get to share the story again with maybe a new set of people, but um, I hope it inspires by just hearing the ordinariness of being around a table with each other. And maybe they too would do that with their own family or the people just to the left and right of them in their neighborhood. I have to tell you, and I don't know if I shared this when I, when I reached out to, to do this follow-up interview, the reason that I reached out is because I was on vacation recently with some friends okay, and uh, some new friends, some old friends, and we bonded sitting around a table, very oh, much okay. like a neighbor's table. Yeah. And I mean, we literally looked up and it was six hours after we had sat down to start talking. That is it awesome. was magical. And then one of my friends had seen the original episode when I interviewed you and mm-hmm. she started telling everybody about it. And she's like, Linda, you need to play that episode for all of us. And I did. And we sat there together, oh all God. 10 of us in a room and watched the original interview. And it was while we were watching and I thought, oh, I got to call Sarah and do a follow up. You know, I need to know what's going on because it, it was just, it was so full circle and it was just wow. such a beautiful moment. And it was something that I got to experience sitting around our own brand of, of, of neighbor's table. And it was just yeah. precious. Really, I have really had a, a few moments like that, those six hour meals where you just, I've been at Brennan's <laughs> in uh, Houston for brunch and they had to kick us out for the dinner reservation yes. that was coming. We're like, uh, excuse me, uh, we need to turn this table right now, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Well, oh, good wow. for you guys. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That's encouraging. I, I had a friend reach out. Just yesterday, he was in Monroe, Louisiana, and he goes, oh, my gosh, you'll never believe who I ran into. And it's this lady that's nearing 80 uh, that has a neighbor's table in Monroe. Her name's Frances. Her friends call her Fancy. And she said, I finally met Fancy, and she could not stop talking about her neighbor's table. He was like, Sarah, she had everyone in that store looking at neighbor's table on her phone. She, he was like, she had tears in her eyes talking about this table. And I just love that. I love that someone that's lived a full life like that, that just has the best, the best stories mm-hmm. is raving about her table, you know, yep. and, and it's, there's, it's sticks of lumber that have been put together with purpose. And yeah. I, I love that. So I'm always tickled yeah. to hear stories. No doubt that is going to, that is your legacy, my dear. That is your legacy. Okay. It is time now for us to switch it up, Yes. which means that 
it, you get to lead the conversation and ask me whatever you want and I will follow. Awesome. So this, this is fun. <laughs> I feel like I'll just getting, getting to chat with an old friend. So thank yeah, you. Yeah, of course. Um, tell me, tell me what it's like living with your daughter right now. Because I'm, I'm in this place of living with my father. And are there any things you guys are doing that we need to be doing in our home that could be repeatable or significant? Are you, are y'all being purposeful in anything? What a great question. Oh, wow. Okay. So my daughter is 28. Um, Her name is Lindsay. I've talked about her on the podcast before, and I'm actually going to do an episode with her soon. Um, and he has moved back in with us for a short period of time. Um, and then eventually she's going to move to Austin. And so she's here with my grandpuppy Layla. And, um, it, it has been one of the most joyous times of my life and for my husband and me together, having her in the house as an adult and getting to know her as an adult is just the most incredible gift. And what I have found is that, yes, we are having intentional conversations. Mm -hmm. I'm having conversations with her about what she wants her life to look like, you know, Mm -hmm. what's important to her, you know, the kinds of things that you don't always get to um, have the opportunity to get into when she's home for a long weekend, or I go visit her. She used to live in Dallas, as you know, Um, so yes, it is definitely more intentional and more purposeful. And I will say that, you know, I'm at this point where it's really interesting because I've got my daughter living here and I just mentioned my mother who has Alzheimer's and she's 95. One of my great regrets is that even in the business that I'm in interviewing people that I do not have enough interviews with her on tape. Hmm. of me knowing and getting all of those stories from her before she reached a point where she was unable to communicate those stories Hmm. with me, to me. And now I have an uncle who is 85 and he's like the last elder in our family who is the link to all of those stories. And I have been interviewing him. Wow. And so I think with Lindsay, one of the things that I want to do is make sure that I am sharing our family stories with her and that, and I want to encourage her to ask me all of the questions that she has and that she perhaps has not asked and that I haven't offered that information just because, you know, I didn't think to offer it. Um, so I, I just think it's the, the word intentional is, is, is the one that's important. Is just yes. knowing that the moments that we have together are fleeting. We should not take them for granted. And certainly the older you get, the more the family history becomes important and something that you want to hold on to and you want to have something that you can pass along to the generations to come. What a great question. Thank oh, you for I, that. I love that. And that's such a good reminder to me to ask my dad and even his family about my dad too, like just being curious about him again. And 
I, I love that. That's so encouraging. Did your mom create experiences around the table when you guys were growing up? Was that a central part of your family growing up? You know, it was when I think about it. Um, so my father was a doctor and he often would be home kind of late. You know, he wasn't always home right at dinner time. But I, I do remember sitting around our table of four in the kitchen in Chicago and, you know, certain family meals. Like I remember whenever I would come home from college, my mother would always ask me, you know, what do you want for your first dinner home? And it was always the same. My favorite meal, I wanted fried chicken. I wanted greens. I wanted... Uh, fried corn. You can tell my, my mother grew up in Nashville. So it was a Southern meal. Okay. And, um, and usually I think it was hot water cornbread. Okay. And that would be my meal. Every time I would come home from college, that would be my first meal. And we would have, you know, time sitting around the table, enjoying that. And then I would fill them in on what I'd been doing on campus and how life was going. And um, so, yeah. And I, and I remember my parents used to entertain a lot when I was growing up. And so I remember being, you know, maybe middle school or high school age and, you know, watching my mother prepare a meal and she would always set the table at least a day, maybe two days before the actual dinner. So yeah. she would take her time, you know, using her china and her silver and, and every little detail and she would set the table and then she'd start working on the menu. And so she didn't have to worry about the table on the day of because it was already done. And then she could focus on yep. setting, you know, getting her menu exactly like she wanted it. And she took so much joy and pride in serving her guests. And I just remember watching her. And now I find myself doing exactly the same thing. I always set my table a day or two ahead of time when I'm entertaining or if it's a Thanksgiving or Christmas or whatever. Yeah. And I, you know, those traditions that she had, that yeah. she instilled in our family, I watched and learned by example. And now I do exactly the same thing. Wow. That's beautiful. Yeah. I love that she was a planner. I, I yes. need a little bit more of that in my life. <laughs> no, <laughs> like we I'm, all. I'm running off the cusp of like, okay, we got to do this. We got to do this. So, okay, being a Chicago girl, I have to know, are you a deep dish or a thin crust? Deep dish, baby. Okay. Deep dish all the way. I grew up on Uno's and Douay. I knew you were going to ask me that. <laughs> so yeah, I grew, up on, I grew up on Uno's and Douay. And I know there's yeah. this whole Uno's and what is it? Yep. Uh, Lou Malinati. And there are all these yep. others, but I'm old school. Yes. And, yes. So, but the only time I ever eat deep dish is when I go to Chicago yeah. and any yeah. other time yeah. it's thin crust yep. because yep. nobody does deep dish, deep dish. Like my Chicago. dad, you know, grew up in Chicago and my grandmother would make homemade pizza and she was a thin crust. Uh, that was how she would, she would do it on a cookie sheet. And she would make it every Saturday and she would leave the leftovers on the oven to stay warm. And my dad told me he thinks she did it because with three, three boys, whoever got home first from their dates got the pizza. So it kept them honest and, and coming back home. So there, there is magic in a good, good pizza for sure. So that's I love it. 
I love it. Linda, what are you finding hope in these days? I mean, we kind of touched on the state of our country and just so many things we've walked through, even just in the last three years since we've last visited. But what are you finding hope in? What's what's encouraging you these days? You know, uh, I would say a, a couple of things. So you mentioned having Lindsay home now. And one of the things that I find hope in is, is this, this generation, the young people who are coming up and their, um, their desire to ensure that they are actually able to live the kind of lives that they should be able to live and they're engaged, they're paying attention, they're holding us accountable, and they're thinking outside the box. So they're innovative, they're creative, they're dynamic. So they give me hope. Our, the young people of our country give me hope. And, and I have to say that talking with people like you having the opportunity to do this podcast and bring to our audience diverse points of view, how people are dealing with kind of everything that's going on and just being able to talk about it. Um, and every time I do an interview and here's something that gives me chills. And I, I've had chills multiple times during this conversation over the last, what are we, 38 minutes in, okay? Mm -hmm. I've had chills multiple times. Mm -hmm. That's what gives me hope, is talking to people, listening to them, trying to understand, trying to think of things in a, in a different way. Um, that's, that's what gives me hope. So I... Um, I feel very, very blessed to to be able to do this kind of work and the, the work that I do um, outside of the podcast and the type of stories that I'm able to tell. And because I, I have become very intentional, that word again, about everything that I do, what I'm finding is that the work that I want to do is coming to me. The meaningful work that has the ability to make our world just a little bit better. Mm -hmm. That work is coming to me. Mm -hmm. People ask me all the time how I find guests for my podcast. And it's in a variety of ways, but mostly it's me paying attention mm -hmm. and, and seeing you know, what's out there and then just reaching out and saying, okay, this is a person whose voice I want to amplify. And so let's let's do this together. And the and having the opportunity to do that is what what gives me hope. Yeah, I, I think with your long career in journalism, I think you've always had a curiosity towards mm. towards story, towards people, and I think we continue to see that in your work. And I just want to give you kudos for oh. for raising voices that matter. And I've learned a ton popping in on your podcast, listening to some of these guests. And I, I'm also going, how does she find these people? These are so cool. <laughs> you know, when we actually get to listen to stories that are different from us or have had a different life experiences or an oppression or, or whatever these things are, it mm -hmm. really 
adds to our life when we can listen in and we can learn from each other and that sort of thing. And I feel like in my way, I'm trying to do that at the table and in your way, you're getting to do that in your creative work. And, um, I think we've got the best job in the world, Linda. Like to, I, I agree. To, I agree. To across from people like this and, and find yeah. a curiosity about each other. And uh, I wish I wish I saw that in a lot more people. But uh, you give me hope. And uh, hearing yeah. hearing the way that you lead is is just beautiful. So I appreciate. Well, thank you that. so much, my friend. I I cannot tell you how how blessed I I feel to know you and to call you a friend now and. And um, you always have a, a place here to amplify your voice. Please keep us apprised of, of all the great things that are happening with um, Neighbors Table. And, you know, we'll link to everything, of course, so that people will know how to find you and hopefully order their own tables. And please give your dad a big hug for me and I will keep him in my prayers and um, just keep on doing what you're doing because you are making a huge difference. You really Thank are. you for your encouragement today, Linda. I appreciate it. Thanks for your time today. Thank you, Sarah. So I think I'm starting to like this switch it up section. She asked some really good questions. That was fun. I'd like to thank Sarah once again for sharing her mission with us. I just love everything about Neighbors Table, what it stands for. It's such a simple yet profound mission and it is really having significant impact around our country. Thank you for giving Sarah permission to speak and for having the courage to listen with an open mind. You can go to the show notes and get links to everything that she's doing and perhaps by your own neighbor's table. Thanks again, everybody. You know what to do, by the way. Like, share, subscribe, spread the word, and then join us again. We'll see you next time on our Voices Matter podcast. Thanks again to our sponsor, BMW of West Houston. There's a special offer for members of the Our Voices Matter podcast community. Just click the link in the show notes, bmwwest.com.